0: morning so this morning's passage for those of you who who were here last week uh, takes us back in time from last week's passage last week we were in Isaiah Isaiah 64 and in Isaiah 64 the people of Jerusalem had begun to return from exile in Babylon this week in chapter 40 they're still in exile the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are a mix of warning and judgment and calls for repentance and a few key glimpses of future hope. Right at the end of chapter 39, King Hezekiah, king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, does something foolish. He allows envoys from the king of Babylon to come into his palace and to see everything he has, all his treasures, And when the prophet Isaiah discovers this, he warns Hezekiah of a time when everything in his palace and some of his own people will be taken away into exile in Babylon. The exile is coming. In between the last word in chapter 39 and the first word in chapter 40, we've skipped over 50 to 70 years. We've skipped over 50 to 70 years of exile and we've arrived at a place where God is promising to deliver them home again. So at the start of Isaiah 40, the people have been suffering the consequences of their rebellion and their sin uh, against God for decades. Isaiah gives several reasons for the exile throughout the book. The people of Judah have disobeyed God. They have become corrupt. They have oppressed the poor. They have engaged in acts of injustice. And they have practiced idolatry. And They have put their strength in military alliances rather than God's protection. Hezekiah Hezekiah made an alliance with Egypt to protect the people from the Assyrians. But God does not need political alliances to protect his people to accomplish his will. God does not need political alliances to protect his people or to accomplish his will. Never has, never will. Judah's trust, the people of Judah and their trust, their confidence was to be in God alone. Anything else is idolatry. It's a little early in the sermon to say something like this, but we're going to do it anyway. That goes for us, whether our particular alliance is with a donkey or an elephant. Our primary allegiance should be to the lamb. No, our primary allegiance should be to the lamb. Thank you. Going to ask for it if I didn't get it. Excuse me. So then remembering that God sent the people of Judah into exile to discipline them for their sin, for their injustice, for their idolatry, and that some of them have likely been in exile, away from the city, away from the land, and their mind, away from God for as much as 70 years. Let's hear what God says to Isaiah in verses 1 and 2. Of chapter 40 comfort comfort my people says your god speak tenderly to jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins for 70 years they have endured punishment and grieved the loss of home and to their minds the loss of god's very presence the prophet Ezekiel, after all, had envisioned God, in Ezekiel chapter 10, had envisioned God abandoning the city, abandoning the temple, just kind of rising up and floating out of there. Now, however, God's tone has changed. He tells them punish, their punishment is over, and, and, and he commands them, as it were, to be comforted, to be spoken tenderly to. And then in verses 3 and 4, we have a, this a very famous passage. Even for people who've never read it, they probably heard it in some context. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God gives Isaiah a second command Prepare the way. For the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If 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 God had abandoned them and left Jerusalem and the temple just before the exile, God now promises to return to them. I want you to take note: this this way is this way through the desert is prepared, not by the might or the skill of human beings or rulers, but by the voice of God. That is, God's speech here is performative. God's speech is performed. God speaks and mountains are leveled. God speaks and valleys are filled in and rough places are made smooth and a highway appears in the wilderness for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I love mountains. I love to sit and stare at mountains. They speak to me of God's creative power. They speak to me of God's majesty. So all this imagery here of leveling mountains and filling in valleys seems to me, on some level, a bit unnecessary and destructive. Maybe to some of you as well. However, while while the mountains might not, would not pose much of of an obstacle or threat to God when he comes to them, they would be an issue for God's people traveling from Babylon to Jerusalem. I mean, we're talking people on foot, maybe on camelbacks, but not four-wheel drive Jeeps and CRVs. I remember a biking trip that Kim and I took when we were in uh, Utah on sabbatical in 2021. Uh, It was a beautiful day in St. George. It was 73, I don't remember this, I had to look it up, 73 degrees, 15% humidity. I know, it's incredible. And so we decided to go for a bike ride on a paved trail that was literally like across the highway from where we were staying. We rode down into town, seven miles Mostly downhill. But then we had to come back up. We did not have e-bikes. And along the way, we encountered hill after hill after hill. And it turned out that the whole thing was on an incline with the hills on top of the incline. What was mostly fun on the way down was very challenging on the way back. In fact, the locals had actually nicknamed this place the roller coaster. I I need you to know, that's one of several, and it's way steeper than it looks even in that picture. Seven miles. (laughs) And in the end, Kim stayed down at the bottom of the hill in town. And I rode back up to get the car because that's the kind of guy I am. (laughs) I should say, actually, I rode and walked back up. After every one of those hills, I had to just stop and stand there for a while. Send a picture of her. I'm still alive, but I am taking a break. And that's only one. I actually put a video in the Bible App Live event. I found somebody online who had strapped a camera to the head and rode down this thing. So they don't show them riding back up, and they had e-bikes anyway, but uh, and like I said, we didn't, we didn't have e-bikes. Um, if you want to watch it, it's a lot of fun just to get a feel for what it's like uh, riding on this trail. It was a great trail, but not on the way back up. I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I can tell you, yeah, back to the sermon. I can tell you that while I see the idea of leveling mountains as destructive on that day, It would have been nice if somebody had flattened out these hills and made it a bit easier to get back to the condo. Oh, to be back home again in Indiana, where the roads are so level and the hills are so small. The road back from Babylon to Jerusalem would have been fraught with obstacles and barriers, both literal and metaphorical. And God's announcement that he was coming to them and his proclamation to the mountains and to the valleys, to the rough places to be made smooth and passable was good news. It was good news for those who were in exile then, and it is good news for us today as well. And then there is another proclamation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, we do need to look at it. Verses six through eight. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? This is Isaiah, what shall I cry? And the answer comes back, all people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows over them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The people of Judah have already proven that their faithfulness to God was not sustainable. It withered and fell and faded, they rebelled, they sinned, and God sent them into exile. God kept his word then, he had been telling them that was going to happen, and God will keep his word now. God's word will endure forever. He will rescue them from exile. He will come to them. He will make a way. Verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Zion is a hill outside of Jerusalem. It was the mountain on which the first temple stood before the Babylonians destroyed it. In Scripture, Zion and the temple were understood to be the place where God lived. In verse 9, Zion is the recipient of good news. However, there is some disagreement among scholars on this. If you look in your Bible, you may see a slightly different translation. They differ. Does someone bring good news to Zion or is Zion the bringer of the good news? I don't know. Neither one of those explanations is completely satisfying to me, honestly. But either that's not really the most important thing about this passage. The most important thing is what the herald says. This bringer of good news was to go up on a high mountain and to watch for God's coming the way a herald might have done in, in watching for the attack of an invading army so they could run back down and, and warn everyone. Only there's no warning here. This is good news. This is good news the word translated as good news is the same word when translated into Greek that becomes our word gospel. One of the other lectionary passages, I talked about the lectionary a bit last week, but one of the other passages assigned to today, this second Sunday of Advent, uses this very word and it quotes from this chapter in Isaiah. In the gospel of Mark we read in the introduction verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark says he's quoting from Isaiah, but he's also quoting from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and mashing the two quotations together for impact and for effect. He's, he's linking God's messenger who will come before him. Uh, in Malachi 3.1, with the, the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, in Isaiah 40, verse 3. And in the New Testament, the beginning of the good news begins with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. That is the person to whom Mark applies Isaiah's words from Isaiah 40. John the Baptist is the voice proclaiming in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In its original context, Isaiah's words were all about the end of exile, Judah's punishment in exile, and their return from Babylon. The exile was over. In the original context, in Isaiah 40, that's what's going on. New Testament writers and the early church, however, saw something more in Isaiah's words. They saw a larger exile in which all of humanity finds itself when we are estranged from God when there are barriers blocking our way to God, or when we don't even know there is a God. The New Testament writers in Mark announced that in the coming of Christ, God has ripped open the heavens and come down and has made a way out of our self-imposed exile from God. In Christ, God has prepared a way, cleared the way, and become the way for us to go back home. In Christ, God has prepared the way cleared the way and become the way home I remember the very first Advent sermon I ever preached I was still in seminary I was an intern at Emanuel Covenant Church in Chicago it was the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 I remember thinking about that passage, that, that passage about the John the Baptist announcing the ministry of the adult Jesus, the 30-year-old Jesus, seems strange to me as an Advent passage where we were supposed to be preparing to celebrate Christmas, the infant Jesus. I mean, shouldn't we be celebrating 8 pounds, 6 ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly but still omnipotent? That's a cultural reference, look it up, you'll find it when you get home in a golden fleece diaper? Isn't, okay, it's from Talladega Nights. <laughs> a movie that a friend of mine said was the only movie she'd ever gone to and come out dumber than when she went in. But I laughed, okay. <laughs> Isn't that what this season's supposed to be about? Looking forward to the birth of Christ, the baby Jesus? A passage about John the Baptist announcing an adult Jesus just before he baptizes him in the Jordan River at 30 years of age just doesn't sound that much like Christmas. No magi, no shepherds, no manger, no nothing. And you may think that too. It's not about Christmas, it's about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Why, why are we in this passage today? You may think that about Isaiah chapter 40. And God's promise to come to his people and to bring them back from babylon also at least at first glance a strange passage to prepare us to celebrate christmas and i get it i get that we i think we are often in a rush to celebrate christmas but the season of advent is a place for us to ponder some other things before we get there and we need that But John the Baptist and Mark and Jesus all know that exile and wilderness are about much more than it first appears. These things describe life. They describe loss, challenging circumstances, life without God, and any time we may feel spiritually dead or dry as dust, any time we may feel that, that God is silent or has abandoned us, we are in a kind of exile. We are wandering in the wilderness in a sense. However, in Scripture, the wilderness plays several roles. It is a place of wandering. It is a place people end up when they run from or disobey God, yes. But it is also always a place where God meets His people and speaks to them and where God transforms them. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. Judah found themselves in the wilderness when they were taken into exile in Babylon as well. Many people suffered and died. But the wilderness, or the desert, was also a place where God met and provided for his people, even in their wandering and sin. It is the place where God split the sea in two so that the Israelites could escape. It is where God provided bread from heaven and water from a rock and where God gave them the Jewish law. That was the wilderness. Biblically speaking, the wilderness is, a, is at once a place of danger and a place of hope it is a place of desolation and a place of God's gracious provision it is a place that disrupts our peace and gives us the peace of God Arthur Marlena Graves puts it this way God uses the desert of the soul our suffering and difficulties our pain our dark nights call them what you will to form us to make us beautiful souls he redeems what we might deem our living hells if we allow him The desert is a blessing disguised as a curse, a study in contrast. By announcing the prophetic wilderness ministry of John the Baptist as the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Mark is tapping into this incredibly rich wilderness tradition, and he is reminding his readers, he is reminding us that there are different kinds of exile, there are different experiences of wilderness, and we all have them. Those who first read these words about John crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, did not need to Google them and find out where they came from. They knew where they came from. They were the words of the prophet Isaiah concerning the people of Judah in exile in Babylon, period. To be certain, for the people of Judah... In Jerusalem, in Isaiah's time, to hear the good news that God was coming to them would le- and would lead them out of exile and back home was a great cause for joy and celebration. Kim and I recently watched the Netflix uh, miniseries, All the Light You Cannot See, and we got a glimpse, and I was thinking about this as I was watching it, I, we got a glimpse of something most of us can only imagine, The story takes place toward the end of World War II in a Nazi-occupied town in France. Spoilers, the Nazis lose that war. And when that happens, when the Americans land and vanquish the enemy and end the oppression, and, and it's all over, the celebration in the streets is like nothing most of us can easily imagine, let alone have ever experienced. This was incredibly good news. And I imagine a scene of celebration and joy among the Jewish people not unlike that upon hearing the good news from Isaiah chapter 40. But the New Testament and those who wrote the New Testament, they see something much bigger, much more profound, much more transformative and celebratory when they understand the very words of Isaiah as fulfilled in a new way in Jesus and John the Baptist. So after quoting from Isaiah and announcing a voice crying in the wilderness, a voice that prepares the way for the Lord, Mark writes in verse, verses 4 and 5, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. By calling people out to the desert to be baptized, John is reenacting the wandering of the Israelites in the wilderness in the Exodus when they left Egypt and when they left Babylon to come back to Jerusalem and when they left Jerusalem to go to Babylon. By calling on them to be baptized in the Jordan River, John called them to cross the sea and enter into the promised land again. It's a do-over. And then John preaches verses 7 and 8. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The promises God made to the people in exile in Isaiah 40 were not only about a literal return from a literal exile, they were about a spiritual return from a spiritual exile, a reality in which all of creation exists. Yes, God will come to his people and rescue them from exile, but even more so, God will come to us all in the form of a human being, the Word made flesh in the birth of Christ. What's more, it doesn't end there. Jesus will not only save us from our sin, he will give himself to us by God's Holy Spirit. For to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's not only to know God, but to experience God in us, around us, and through us. We live in God, and God lives in us. It's good news. When God's people were enslaved in Egypt and cried out, God heard their cry and raised up Moses as a leader, and led them out of Egypt. In the book of Judges, when God's people found themselves under attack and oppressed by other peoples, and and they cried out to God, God sent the Holy Spirit upon leaders to deliver them from their distress, from their enemies. When God's people were sent into exile in Babylon because of their sin, and they cried out to God, God heard their cry and brought them back to the promised land when God's people longed for the Messiah to come and set them free, and when all of humanity was estranged from God or didn't even know God existed, God sent his Son to be born of a virgin, the Word made flesh to dwell among us. And when God's Son was crucified, died, buried, risen, and had ascended, God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, through us, and to immerse us in God's very being. When we needed good news, God answered. God gave himself to us in the birth of Christ and in the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this way, God is truly Emmanuel, the Hebrew word that means God with us. In what way do you need God to come to you today? In what way do you need God to come to you Are you wandering in the wilderness? Do you find yourself dry as dust? Are you held ransom by circumstances, grief, loss, uncertainty, anger, unforgiveness, or busyness? Or have you not yet even heard about or received the gift of Christ in the first place? Have you not yet understood or embraced God's gift of his very self to us and to you. God's gift in the birth of the Christ child at Christmas, God's gift in the presence of his Holy Spirit within us even now. In whatever way you may feel you are in exile from God or lost in the wilderness, the voice in the wilderness still calls out, that voice calls out to us every day prepare the way for the lord make straight a highway in the desert here is your god would you join me in a moment of silence then i'll close this in prayer God, you know the hearts of every person in this room, every person joining us online. You know the very different wildernesses we may all be a part of, the exiles we may find ourselves. You know where we stand in terms of our need of you, our need to see you, our need to know you, our need to become aware of you, our need to return to you. You know the hearts of any who might be here or in the sound of my voice who do not yet know you. God, wherever you are, I ask that you would move us in that direction, a little more aware of you, a little more in tune with your spirit, a little more open to your goodness, grace, and mercy for even coming to us in the first place. Lord, bring us home from our exiles. Enable us, give us strength to go through the wilderness with purpose and to know that you are with us. I pray especially, Lord, for anyone who Uh, might not yet have made that commitment, might not yet have responded to your offer of forgiveness and grace and life, abundant life, or would you give them the grace to do so, to simply cry out to you in prayer, and would you give them the grace to let us know about it, to come and ask for prayer to talk to one of us, on staff or someone they know in the room. Would you take us all, Lord, one step further from wherever we might be, one step closer to home, one step closer, Lord, to re-engaging you, or to engaging you for the first time. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this season. We are reminded of what you have done for us. pray that you would receive all, receive all the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.